1887, the German physicist Heinrich Hertz discovered radio waves. While the first practical use of this discovery was communication, there were also some who realized that radio waves could serve another purpose. It was possible to use these radio waves to detect objects at a distance. It was something that revolutionized warfare and weather forecasting and might yet revolutionize consumer technology. Learn more about radar, how it works, and how it was developed on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Memento. If your family's like mine, you may have had grandparents or great-grandparents whose stories have been lost to time. You wish you had their stories and their voices so that they could be shared for posterity. Memento is a company that helps families and individuals record important events. In Memento's most popular product, The Lifebook, participants are asked questions about their lives and document them in a high-quality hardbound book. Unlike other providers, however, Memento goes one step further. In addition to the usual questions about your life that awaken your memories, you can also use Memento to create special memory books, for example, about loved ones who've passed away together with the whole family. And not just in writing, but also with voice memos and videos that can be inserted into the books and played back. With Mother's Day just around the corner, this may be the one gift that will not only honor your mom's life, but will provide lasting memories for years to come. For my listeners, Memento has something special. Use code EED15 and you'll get a 15% discount on your order. Just visit Memento, M-E-M-I-N-T-O dot com and start your journey into the world of personal stories. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. The story of radar starts with the discovery of radio waves. In 1864, the Scottish physicist James Clerk Maxwell developed a series of equations that predicted there existed electromagnetic waves, and that light was an example of such a wave. The problem was is that no one could find proof of anything beyond visible light. This was eventually solved by the German physicist Heinrich Hertz in 1887, who discovered longer wavelengths of electromagnetic waves than light. These became known as radio waves. In the process of doing his research, he discovered something else. Certain wavelengths of radio waves were reflected by metal. The initial use case for radio waves was communication. Guglielmo Marconi developed a workable radio transmitter and receiver just seven years after Hertz's discovery. However, Hertz's observation that some radio waves were reflected by metal still lingered. The first person who attempted to take advantage of this effect was the German inventor Christian Holzmeier. 
Holzmeyer believed that this property of radio waves could be used to detect ships at sea to prevent collisions. He received a patent for a device he called a telemobile scope, which could detect ships in fog. The system threw out a very wide signal and had a very focused receiver with a parabolic antenna that could rotate a full 360 degrees. This first attempt at using radio waves for detecting objects had many of the features of radar systems that are still used today. One of the biggest problems with using radio waves for detection has to do with the inverse square law. The inverse square law indicates that, generally speaking, the intensity of an electromagnetic wave is 1 over the square of the distance, double the distance and the signal is only one-fourth as strong, triple the distance and it is one-ninth as strong. In the case of using radio waves for detection, for any object that radio waves bounce off of, only a small fraction of the energy from the radio transmitter will hit it. And then it gets worse. As the radio wave is bounced back to the receiver, it's subject to the same inverse square law again. So the signal which is returned can be very, very weak, even if the signal is focused. This is why Holzmeyer's telemobile oscope had a parabolic antenna. A parabolic dish, which you've seen on any satellite dish, reflects all of the radio waves across the surface area of the dish to a single point. It amplifies a weak signal. The telemobile scope would sweep around and when it detected a radio wave being bounced back, it would ring an electric bell to indicate the direction of the object. The device was given a public demonstration in May of 1904 in Germany and then in June in the Netherlands at a conference of shipping executives. The demonstrations were done behind a curtain to show that it works without direct line of sight. The newspapers reported on the event positively. One Dutch newspaper, Die Telegraph, made the following prophetic observation. Quote, because above and underwater metal objects reflect waves, this invention might have significance for future warfare. End quote. The telemobiloscope was tested on the Rhine River, but it never saw widespread adoption. For several decades, radio detection technology languished. No one really did anything with it. Researchers in multiple countries experimented with radio detection and several prototypes were built. But the truth was, there wasn't much of a need for it. Avoiding ship collisions was nice, but it really wasn't that big of a problem. The need for radio detection finally arose in the 1930s. During the First World War, the Germans sent Zeppelins over Britain on bombing missions. Despite being slow-moving and not doing all that much damage, the British were unable to intercept them because of the delay in detecting and scrambling aircraft. As aircraft technology improved rapidly after the war, the need for some sort of aircraft detection system became necessary. In 1934, a team at the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory developed a pulsed radio detection system. It was able to detect an airplane over the Potomac River at a range of one mile. It was crude, but it proved the concept and was considered the first true radar system. Albert Taylor, Leo Young, and Robert Page are credited as being the inventors of radar. In 1939, the U.S. Navy began using the term radar as an acronym for Radio Detection and Ranging. A ship-based radar system was installed on the USS California, a battleship that was sunk at Pearl Harbor. Over in Britain, one of the researchers who picked up the challenge was a British scientist by the name of Robert Watson Watt. Watson Watt had previously worked on the detection of distant thunderstorms using radio. In the 1920s, he developed a system called High Frequency Direct Finding, or HFDF, also known as Huffduff. Huffduff was used in the detection of U-boats extensively during World War II. Watson Watt figured this technology could be used to detect aircraft. 
On February 26, 1935, he and the Royal Air Force conducted the Daventry Experiment. The Daventry Experiment used a shortwave transmitter owned by the BBC and a radio receiver to detect a bomber that was flying around at a distance of 8 miles. The experiment was considered a success, and in 1938 led to the creation of a system of radio location stations located on the coast of England known as the Chain Home System. The Chain Home System could detect German aircraft 99 miles or 160 kilometers away. The Chain Home System proved invaluable in the Battle of Britain in 1940. The British were able to detect incoming German planes and could scramble to intercept them while they were still over France. Without the chain home system, it's likely the Germans would have won the Battle of Britain. The US and the UK actually didn't share their radar technology in the run-up to the war. It wasn't until the war started that there was a wider exchange of technology and knowledge. The US and the UK weren't the only countries working on radar technology during the war. The Germans, Japanese, Soviets, and Italians were all developing their own systems. During the war, there were significant advancements in radar technology, including the American invention of the duplexer, which allowed for a transmitter and receiver to be put in the same device, and the British invention of the cavity magnetron, which allowed for smaller, more portable systems. A cavity magnetron is very similar to the device inside of a modern microwave oven. Radar had proven its importance during World War II. After the war, the development of radar technology continued unabated and became even more important. During the Cold War, radar installations became the first line of defense. The Americans and Canadians developed a series of lines of radar stations that extended from the Aleutian Islands across Canada, Greenland, and the Faroe Islands. The first was the Pine Tree Line, which ran near the U.S.-Canadian border. The second was the Mid-Canada Line, and the furthest was the Distant Early Warning Line. All of the radar data was sent to a Central Strategic Air Command, which could send planes to intercept bombers. One of the discoveries during World War II was that radar could detect precipitation. This discovery led to the use of radar in weather forecasting. The first famous use of radar for weather forecasting was in 1961, when a young local Texas reporter by the name of Dan Rather went to a weather radar facility in Galveston, Texas to cover Hurricane Carla. He got permission to broadcast live from the site and got the managers of the facility to draw a rough outline of the Gulf of Mexico on a transparent sheet of plastic. He then held the sheet over the radar display to show viewers the size and location of the storm. Thanks to his efforts in displaying the size of the storm to viewers, hundreds of thousands fled and there were only 35 deaths, compared to the 12,000 deaths from a similar hurricane 61 years earlier. Radar also became a staple of air traffic control systems around the world. It was used to track commercial aircraft so air traffic controllers could avoid collisions and control all the planes taking off and landing at commercial airports. Radar systems shrunk and were put inside of individual aircraft, which became important for military fighters. Radar could detect enemy aircraft, and radar was also used in surface-to-air and air-to-air -air missiles. As with all weapon systems in history, countermeasures are soon developed to thwart them. In the case of radar, there were several technologies developed to thwart it. Chaff was developed in World War II to confuse radar. Chaff is nothing more than small particles of metal, usually aluminum, which is designed to amplify a reflected radar signal. Radar jamming is nothing more than sending out a radio signal on the same wavelength in an attempt to overwhelm a radar receiver so it can't pick up the reflected radio signal. Perhaps the most interesting radar countermeasure is stealth technology. Stealth is a collection of different methods to make planes or ships invisible to radar. There are two primary ways that this can be done. 
The first is to deflect radio waves away such that they aren't reflected back to the receiver. And the second is to coat a vehicle in a substance that will absorb radio waves such that very little is reflected back. Aircraft such as the B-2 bomber, the F-117A Nighthawk, and the F-22 Raptor have both characteristic sharp angles and absorbent coatings. The F-117A Nighthawk was primarily used in the Iraq War to take out radar and anti-aircraft installations, which would then allow non-stealth aircraft to fly safely. Radar has advanced to the point where the technology is now starting to appear in everyday life. Entire radar systems can now be integrated on a single chip, which can be deployed in a wide variety of applications. Automobiles are now being equipped with low-power radar to help with accident avoidance. There are some rear bicycle lights that now come with radar, which will provide an audible alert for riders if a car is in proximity. Radar has been integrated into some smart lights, which can monitor sleeping activity and breathing, and they can also detect if somebody has fallen down and call for help. Robots in factories and warehouses are equipped with radar to avoid obstacles and to sense nearby objects. Many consumer drones use low-power radar to avoid objects and to measure their distance from the ground. There are also plans to implement radar into computer monitors, which could detect gestures for playing games or reading sign language. This technology is also being considered for automobiles for people to control an automotive display without having to touch anything. Geologists point radar at the ground to detect objects below the surface, and astronomers use radar to track meteors and other nearby objects in space. Radar has come a long way from the crude systems used to detect ships in the fog over a hundred years ago. It's gone from the military, to weather forecasting, to our homes and automobiles. Given the advances in millimeter wavelength radar and radar systems on a chip, we can expect even more uses for radar technology in our everyday lives over the next several decades. The executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Charles Daniel. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. I have two reviews for you today. The first is a three-star review from listener MS Heritage on Apple Podcasts in the United States. They write, Good show. Good show, professional and full of knowledge. However, I've been disappointed with the topics as of late. The show has not featured an interesting topic in weeks, is a bit repetitive, and has very little American history involved. Well, thanks, MS Heritage. Note to self, more American history. The next review is a one-star review from listener Bog W. in Australia. They write, U.S.-centric. It's U.S. North American-centric, not everything everywhere. Speaking too quickly just to make it sound thrilling is pointless. Would be better if it were slower. Thanks, Bog W. Note to self, less American history. Well, I think my lesson for today is that it is literally impossible to please everyone. Remember, if you leave a review or send me a boostagram, you too can have it read on the show. And also remember, you can now leave reviews on individual episodes on Spotify.